and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who is physical distancing himself from me by 3,000 miles. His name is Sam Tai from BR Football. Hello, Sam. Hello, mate. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd be distancing myself regardless of any quarantine measures, but it just so happens <laughs> that I've got a pretty good excuse to do so right now. You sure do. You sure do. Um, so you are here to talk to me about the England national team. This is one of those topics that I always, I always want to talk about and never find the right time. And this whole coronavirus situation has given me a chance to, you know, dig into some topics that maybe I, uh, I wouldn't have had time to otherwise. Um, I wanted to ask you, for the benefit of our American listeners, um, what's going on in England? Like, what's the, what's the situation? What are the rules? Like, what, what's Boris Johnson got you doing? Well, we were quite slow on the uptake, I feel. Um, I started self-isolating uh, approximately six days before Boris Johnson, first our prime minister, first basically asked people very nicely <laughs> to stay at home. That's the first thing he did. Uh, he said, please stay out of the pubs. Please don't go out. And then a couple of days later after that, everyone had ignored him. And he just went, right, seriously, you have to stay at home now. Yeah. Uh, I woke up one morning to a text from the government, wow. uh, which I thought was very weird. Uh, that was uh, That was last Tuesday. Uh, so just over, yeah, just, just under a week ago, uh, new rules in force. You must stay at home. More info here, gov.uk slash coronavirus, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. So that's when it got genuinely serious, but for approximately 10 days before that, when everyone was going, seriously, we should be doing something about this. Like we should be being, we should be more proactive. He just kind of asked everyone nicely to stop doing things and it just didn't work. Like no one listened, but now we are in like genuine lockdown. You go to the supermarket, you have to stay two meters away from everybody. There's queues to get in. There's like four people allowed in at a time. Uh, no one's driving around. Um, no one's re- you don't really see people around. Uh, I haven't left the house that much. I have to say I'm on day 14 or 15 of self-isolation. Like I'm at least taking it seriously. Yeah. Uh, I've only been out three or four times. I've got a garden though, so it's a bit easier for me just to go and sit outside for a bit. But it is a really strange vibe and like, you know, I haven't really seen anyone except my neighbours for two weeks uh, and my fiance, who also <laughs> live, who obviously lives here. And um, yeah, it's it's unprecedented, as we know. It's very weird. Uh, I thought it was quite exciting to start with, or like fascinating, maybe is the right word. The first few uh, days, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like because it was it's we're sort of making history in a way. And I was like, yeah. this is really fascinating. Like what's going to happen here? Day four, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to do that jigsaw puzzle, aren't I? Oh, no. <laughs> So uh, right now I'm pretty bored of this, but I'm also strapped in because I don't think it's going to be going away anytime soon. The thing that the thing that got me was when I we did a cycle of a week and I had certain things that I did on certain days and I realised we were repeating ourselves. That's when I realised it was wasn't just a novelty and it was very much uh, for real. And I could be doing those things in a cycle for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, initially I considered myself lucky that I was able to do pretty much my entire job from home. Um, but in in the UK, the government has come come to the rescue uh, for a lot of people I've offering seen. 80 or 90 percent pay just to stay at home and not do their job and cover it with their employers. Self-employed people have been uh, been offered something as well. Uh, that came a little bit later after quite a lot of outrage. Uh, so yeah, now- I, was, I was tracking that because my sister runs her own hairdressing business. So we're, we're very much uh, as a family on top of uh, waiting for that news. Yeah. So I kind of went from initially going well, at least I could do my job from home. Like, this isn't going to be a problem. Like, I'm one of the lucky ones to hang on a minute. I've got to work. (laughs) I've got to work from home the entire time. Well, like most of my best friends do absolutely nothing for two months and get 90% pay. Sam, I think you would, you'd still be doing your job in your head, even if you weren't doing it, um, even if you weren't doing it for money. (laughs) Probably. I'd just be playing football (laughs) manager 12 hours a day. So what's the difference anyway? So in in case people don't know, you work for BR Football and you're one of the co-hosts of the BR Football Ranks podcast. Um, I've I've been listening and I've noticed you you have gone to the well already of the Messi versus Ronaldo, but you guys did it in a really smart way. So is that is that the type of content that you're uh, you're digging out now? Well, yeah, it seems like panic buttons hit a bit early. Week two of quarantine. (laughs) Oh, should we just do Messi Ronaldo? Um, We just figured we just figured that like. Like it's a horrible subject. Like, don't, yeah. For, for for anybody, for all the people that are out there that like that will will have a say on this, and some 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 will will do so quite aggressively. Um, and fair enough, it's a hot topic. Um, as a result of the kind of animosity surrounding it, I really actually severely dislike talking about and comparing those players. Yeah. But we just thought if we can do it in a smart and measured and appreciative way, it will it will it will be something that resonates. And also like. Sure, we never wanted to do that subject, but like, has there ever been a better time? There's literally yeah. no football on except for 
there's some Belarusian Premier League on. Yeah, that's because they're. That's because they're. I don't know if it's uh, president or prime minister. He, th- I think he thinks sauna and vodka will fix the coronavirus, and he's letting the Belarusian football go ahead. Fantastic. <laughs> Maybe he's right. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, if there's nothing to talk about football wise, then I guess there's never a better opportunity. And if you treat it with respect, maybe you can make a mark on it. We have had quite a lot of people say like, like you, you did you did a really nice job with that. Like, I don't agree with everything, but like, yeah. thanks for doing it in like a respectful and appreciative way, which is the key. Yeah, you um, went, you went so, category by category, right? Which I think is the right way to do it instead of just like choosing one thing and saying, uh, this guy scored more goals, therefore he's the best. Yeah, sure. We did 10 categories. And importantly, at the end, we didn't tally them up to see who won and go, well, Messi's the best because he won 6-4. Because that's not the point either. Because obviously right. your categories are weighted differently. Yes. Ronaldo's, Ronaldo's clutch ability and it, it is, is arguably worth more than quite a lot of those other categories. That's not how you do it. You, leave it to your own conclusions. Just talk through a big subject in kind of like quite nerdy detail. The discussion um, is the point, right? Yeah, so it's probably it's probably something we're going to go back to on, on a couple of occasions, I guess, if if things don't clear up. Not specifically that one, but a similar kind of broad, major topic, and just try and dial down on it. I mean, look, we only have one podcast a week to do. I, you guys have significantly more. Uh, we're so. managing to fill it. One of the things we're doing is we're watching the English game on Netflix. Has that landed in the UK? It's been landed. I got invited to the premiere actually. Oh, look at um, you. But the uh, premiere was cancelled due oh, to the I coronavirus. See. I see. <laughs> Mate, that's the, the punchline to everything now is, uh, but it was cancelled because of the coronavirus. <laughs> so, yeah, it has landed. Um, we we actually explored taking a look at maybe creating some content around it just just on the pod. Like if there was um, you know, one of the producers would be happy to have a chat with us or something like that. But I don't think any of us, uh, myself, Dean or Jack on the Ranks podcast have actually watched it yet. I'm watching all the Marvel films in chronological order. So, I I'm, heard. A bit, so I'm a bit busy. This is interesting. I heard you say that on the podcast and then I heard that you started with Captain America and then Captain Marvel. And I was like, wait, that's not the order they came out in. And then it clicked what you were doing. You're going through um, like as in the actual year that it's set, right? Yes, precisely. Like at, like actual chronological. So they, they brought them out all, like in a different order, but they were all over timeline wise. They were all over the place. Um, so I've just decided to put them. Well, I don't have to. Like someone's done it for me. Like so there's an image out there. If you watch them in this order, then timeline wise, year by year, this is the right order. So I'm just doing that. I've only got three to go. Um, oh, wow. I've absolutely smashed it, mate. Uh, quarantine <laughs> quarantine life is is Marvel Comic Universe. Well that done. means I've watched like 17 films in like <laughs> in like 10, uh, eight or nine days. Um <laughs> But there you go. Uh, Thor, Ragnarok, Avengers in Infinity War and Avengers Endgame are the only three left. So oh, well, that's, good. A, that's a good three. That's a, that might I'm, be three of my favourite. Oh, uh, mate, I'm, so, I'm really looking forward to it. Have you seen Ragnarok yet? Uh, yeah, I've seen all three of these. Okay, I think right. Ragnarok is great, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're like, in for, for a treat a second time round. Um, yeah. Should we get to the main event? What, this wasn't the main? Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> I mean, it can be. We could go through every Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe film if you like. But I do want to talk about England. Um, I'd originally wanted to talk to you, you know, with the build-up to the March friendlies. I think England were playing Italy and Denmark and the Euros were on the horizon. Euros obviously now pushed all the way back to 2021. Um, but I still would like, I wanted to have you on to have a sort of wider conversation about England just because I feel like I haven't had one in a while. And I do, I really believe the England team has changed a lot since 2018. And what I'm interested in is if people haven't been paying attention, I would argue that the England team right now is very, very different to the sort of 5-3-2 England team that went to the semis in 2018. And I partly want to bounce my ideas off of you as well, because, you know, I obviously, I trust you as someone who watches a lot of football and has what I think are really uh, solid opinions backed up by, you know, by things that you've seen and thought about. Um, So first of all, would you agree that England is a different sort of beast now to the one that went to the World Cup semi-final? Oh, yeah, very different. Uh, I mean, look, the... just basic formation wise, like we've since the World Cup, we've left the three five two. Just we've just left it behind. Like yeah. they just switched. They've just switched to a back four and used a variant of a four three three or a four two three one. So either with two eight uh, two number eights and a, and a holding midfielder or two holders and a number ten. They've used that. We've used that like consistently since the World Cup. Um, I went back to have a look at some of Steve Holland, who is uh, Southgate's assistant have a look at some of his comments during the 2018 world cup because he actually explained the rationale behind the for, perform, the formation of the world cup really clearly which i thought oh, yeah. was really rare um they he said basically through qualification uh they through qualification for the 2018 world cup they stuck with the back four more or less because he didn't want to change too much um because amazingly sam allardyce took charge of one game and then obviously resigned before that before him obviously we had the previous manager 
and because Allardyce only took one game, technically England had three different managers for three different games <laughs> in a row. And they were very worried about changing too much too soon. So they stuck with it. And then to get, through qualifying. Through, to get through qualifying, then as they got to the World Cup, they said, right, we need to get more support for Kane because he scores, he scores a too high a percentage of our goals. We're not getting enough from other people. So we need to get more bodies around him. We need to solidify at the back as well. And given all of the players that they had at their disposal, they decided to go for what they called a 3-3-2-2, but it's essentially 3-5-2, as, as we talked about. Yeah. They wanted to get Carl Walker playing in the same role that he plays for Man City because Carl Walker nowadays doesn't play overlapping wing-back. He plays tucked in, defending against counter-attacks in the sort of counter-pressing system that Guardiola employs. So they wanted to get Walker in the City role. They wanted to get they wanted to get wing, wing backs pushing forward as, as, as actual wiggers, and they wanted to get Sterling closer to Kane to try and help him out. Um, and I'm sure in the back of their mind somewhere as well, they were thinking, if we, get, if we take three centre-backs or three, three nominated defenders, we will be more solid. Because tournament football is a different kettle of fish. Like, it's about control. It's about little fine margins and edges. It's quite a cagey affair at times. And even some of the best international teams that you've ever seen play were at least 50% mechanical and drilled. Like yeah. France, who won the World Cup in 2018, played Blaise Matuidi in a kind of left-wing role. Like, that is anti-football at yeah. its very best. But it worked over the course of seven games, and it won them a trophy, which is important. So all of these teams, Italy from the past, Netherlands from the past, Germany as well, Spain, they're at, like, at least the processes that they've got, they're quite careful, even though they look quite good. And I think it's only smart to try and take that into account. And yeah, since then, England have gone to a back four, but they're obviously still trying to put together something very well rehearsed and very well drilled. But the type of football we're seeing is very different. The personnel feels like night and day, to be honest. Like, if you compare the 11s, yes. like, it's, so, it's so, so different. So, no more Ashley Young. No, no more Ashley Young. God, I remember getting so annoyed about that at the World Cup. <laughs> Even though it basically, you know, we came fourth. <laughs> so it wasn't that bad. I was just <laughs> like, really? Do we have to play a right footer at left wing back? I quite, really? liked, I quite liked his weird in-swinging crosses. I thought they were unorthodox and dangerous. I mean, Ashley Young's always been dangerous from that position. It's just that if you only play uh, two players in wide positions, which is what the 3-5-2 yeah. is, rather than the 3-4-3, which is two wing-backs and two wingers, if you only play two players wide, one on each side, the responsibility they have to hold the width all the way up and down the pitch and the amount of stamina and power these players have to have is overwhelming. And Young just isn't not that player. Like, yeah, he just isn't. And at the time, he was, what, 32 or 33? And it was... He was right-footed, which annoyed me as well because it's the wrong foot for that role. And it, all of it, just I hated all of it. But, <laughs> but do you like the new right. setup? Do you like the new setup then? Because I mean, I enjoy watching England a lot more in the new setup. It just feels more expansive and adventurous and almost modern. It feels like more like a modern football team. Yeah, I must admit, for the first time, I think maybe in my life, outside of obvious World Cup tournaments and things like that. I genuinely get a little bit excited to watch England yeah. on a, in, a, in a qualifier. It's the first time I'm, tw I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I turn 30 tomorrow uh, on the 31st of March. Uh, so in 30 years, uh, this is the first time I've ever really been excited about a qualifier for England. Every time, every other year I've been like dreading it, like international breaks, terrible, hate them, don't want to watch England, but it's different. We are <laughs> good to watch. I like the players. Like, I love the manager. Like I really, really like Southgate. And he gives me a reason to believe in the team. And he gives me reasons to believe that he has a plan. He knows what he's doing and he's carrying it out. So that's what you can really ask for because you know, we haven't had that before. Like, you know, it doesn't matter whichever name you want to pluck out the hat, Capello through to Ericsson, any of them. Like it never really seemed like there was a plan. So I'm going to say this show's going to publish on the 31st. So I'm going to say happy birthday to you now. And I would encourage our listeners to wish you a happy birthday as well. Oh, thank you. I mean, look, <laughs> It does. Obviously, you draw up plans for your birthdays, and uh, <laughs> the, the the big the big three O Walcott. Look, trust me, I did not see this coming in quarantine. But uh, here we are. I'm spending my thirtieth in quarantine. Uh, at least I have my fiance, and she's baked me a cake. Aww. So that's quite that's quite that's quite nice. That's lovely. Uh, that's lovely. But I think as, when this is over, if it's ever over, maybe in August, I'm gonna have to gonna have to reschedule my birthday because I'm not doing <laughs> I'm not just missing the thirtieth birthday celebration because of quarantine. Um, so let's go. No, don't miss it. You can't be 29 forever, right? It'd be a good, a good way to try. But uh, I, think, I think you should step into your 30s boldly. Um, yeah. So how about this? How about we go back to front through the England team and just think about some of the options? Assuming it's like a 4-3-3, which seems the most common shape that England have gone with. 
Um, and if I start us off in goal, Jordan Pickford seems to have those gloves permanently. And I've got to say, even though there are certain flaws in his game, I, I quite like him in goal for England, and I can't even fully say why. So I think, I think based on Premier League form this year, he's clearly not the best English goalkeeper. Dean Henderson should be very relieved that the Euros have been postponed. Because if Dean Henderson carries on as he has for Sheffield United this year, ah. then I think he'll have the gloves in 2021. Pickford, there's no way they would have made the change at this point. It's March, the tournament would have been in June, and Dean Henderson has zero caps. There's no way they would have made the change. Pickford would have played in goal this year, definitely. But next year, like if Henderson does another season like he has just done for Sheffield United or is in the, in the process of, it's going to be a really hard choice. Henderson has been absolutely great. And Pickford's made a couple of errors. The press has been at him. The fans have been sniping at him. He said a few things on Twitter about criticism of goalkeepers. Like, like whether or not it's over-egged, he's under pressure. And yet he would, have been, he, he would have been the pick this year. But next summer, like it really does open that door for Dean Henderson. It really does. Pickford at his best is really good but hasn't been at his best this season, I would say. What's Henderson like with his feet? Because I think that is the thing I like about Jordan Pickford, is I like those like weird, those left-footed uh, diagonal passes that he makes and those weird sidewinder uh, like when he, when he punts the ball forward. Like, is Henderson decent with his feet, at least? I mean, it's not as good as, as Pickford. Pickford, like, the way he hits the ball sometimes, it's like he's playing on a golf course, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, there was a couple at the World Cup. He, used to, he produced a few low skimmers, didn't he? And he can use either foot as well. Which oh, is, I didn't know that. Is, which is obviously, it was crucial for England at the time because they were playing with the back three and they wanted to pass the ball to eat like any of those three centre-backs. Yeah. Um, and him being able to play off his left or his right-hand side was really good for building, like rotating the play and beating, uh, beating a pressing striker. So Henderson isn't as good at that, but it's about weighing it up. And Henderson basically hasn't made any errors this season and Pickford has made a couple. So um, as long as Henderson's feet are okay, which I would say they are, that would put him in the conversation uh, yeah, as right. good as, as as good as Pickford's kind of low drilled uh, passes and those those sidewinder goal kicks that really are quite pleasing to watch. To be fair, um, but, but I guess England teams shouldn't be picked just purely on what I find aesthetically pleasing, well, even though obviously oh. they were. <laughs> no, that's no, not at all, I mean, and and not for me either. Like that shouldn't be based on anybody. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'd say I'd say Henderson is 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 he's, he should be really really happy about this. And, so. Uh, He's got a chance. In front of the goalkeeper, um, not so long ago, I would have guaranteed John Stones would be one of those two centre-backs. Now it's, it doesn't look so nailed on, does it? Given him sort of not playing for Man City so often and looking a little shaky sometimes when he does. Like, if we'd gone to the Euros this summer, would you have expected John Stones to play? No. Um, right now, based on what we've, what, we've had, what we've seen over the last six to 12 months, I would say that John Stones is probably fourth choice. Um, so he's on the or, plane, but he's mostly just watching. He's on the plane. Uh, not that they need a plane, because <laughs> most because most of England's games are at home. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, but um, no, I, like just, just, I think just symbolically they would take a plane um, from Gatwick to Heathrow. Yes, I think they should. They should go and take a, a team photo on the plane and then get <laughs> off. Um, yeah, I think. Well, I mean, if it was based on based on the last few the few uh, qualifiers that England played, obviously uh, Maguire and Mings. Um, uh, are in that conversation for sure. Joe Gomez is the best centre-back England have. Mm-hmm. So, okay, injuries robbed him of the opportunity to contribute in those those last sort of th- four, two or four England games that we had before Christmas because he did have some problems. And actually, injuries have quite often prevented him from gaining any rhythm in the England setup whatsoever. Um, although I do watching him, I do remember watching him play uh, at Wembley live for England-Brazil when they drew nil-nil. And he basically stopped Neymar from scoring single-handedly. It was a really impressive performance. And he's been brilliant for Liverpool. The statistics about how many clean sheets they keep when he plays uh, are out there for you to see. Uh, he's been really, really good. And he is he is our best centre-back. I think he's better than all of them. Um, and I think Maguire and Gomez is the best pairing that we could put together. And it's nicely balanced because one likes to play on the right and one likes to play on the left. Yes. I think Mings is... An attractive proposition because he's like physically he's great, he's left-footed, he's very good on the ball, and he played really, really well when he was given the chance ahead of Christmas. He looked really comfortable, and he doesn't really seem to get um, in a flap about anything at all. The thing is, like based on the league form, Mings makes at least one pretty ropey defensive error per game for Aston Villa. Now, whether or not that's a product of the the environment around him or not, I don't know, but something that doesn't necessarily get picked up on a lot because he doesn't play for a top six team is that. Yeah, he makes 
an uncomfortable amount of errors. So I don't think I'd be comfortable with that as it stands in the England team when you've got an opportunity to play Maguire and Gomez together. What's your take on Michael Keane? Um, uh, it's a tough one. I don't think he's particularly suited to playing in a high line. I think he's extremely slow and it's a problem. His so turning him, him and Maguire is no pace, right? Oh, it's yeah, it's horrendous. I mean, Maguire takes risks on the ball as well and he does turn quite slowly, but he does have a knack of basically getting it done. Um, whether it doesn't, whether it looks particularly smooth or not sometimes, I don't know, but he does, it, it's a net positive. Um, with Keane, I think he'd really struggle in the type, with the type of football that England wants to play. Um, I don't think he has the recovery speed. I don't think he's necessarily good enough on the ball either. He's a good player, but I don't think he suits England as they are right now. Uh, Smalling definitely suits England better. Uh, and I saw that Southgate had sort of almost apologised for the comments he'd made on Smalling in the past pre- uh, recently. Yeah, he implied uh, that is- Smalling couldn't pass a ball, right? which is why he, did, <laughs> why he didn't want to pick him. Yeah, and then recently he's kind of said, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. And yeah. Smalling's been, been really good for Roma. Um, and he's also been playing in a heavy possession system with a very high line that leans on recovery pace. Basically, a lot of the things that you would ask England players to do. That's so he's, he's got the proof there for, with, with Roma at a good level to say that Smalling could indeed do these things absolutely better than, uh, than Keane. And it kind of depends on Stones, I guess, because, you know, on paper, Stones is, is, your, is your dream centre back there. It's just about... How yeah. low does he? How, how low does he go when 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 his form dips and um, how bad are the injuries and he, what's he, the, what's the momentum like? He was supposed to be the second coming of Rio Ferdinand in my head. Um, and yeah, it yeah. hasn't quite worked out, right? It hasn't. Um, I still think I think he's he's still got it in him. Yeah. I really do. I know he's not that young anymore, but I still think he's got it in him to be genuinely excellent. Uh, he just every time he looks like he's about to pick up some kind of uh, m- momentum and start to prove me right. Uh, or prove others wrong because there's a lot of people that don't really believe him in at all. He gets injured or he or makes a mistake. Over. And the thing is, once you make a mistake at City, like you get dropped for two months. Yes, it's a tough so he doesn't He doesn't get an opportunity to, to atone for that. Now, the argument is, shouldn't be making those mistakes in the first place. Very true. But at the same time, like everyone does. So he just, he just doesn't really get the chance to build that momentum. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is for him, but if, it was, if the Euros were taking place in three months, he'd be, he'd be on the... Yeah, if you're on the plane, <laughs> on the bus, um, but not yeah, on the bus. But uh, I don't think he'd be. I don't think he'd be starting. All right, you sold me on Maguire Gomez. I, I'm. I'd be very, very happy with that. Um, okay, I'm going to take us over to um, to right back, uh, where I'd argue we maybe have the the best depth of almost any nation right now. Um, yeah, probably. We have yeah. Kyle Walker's not been in the last few squads, right? And it might be because of that new role he's playing with Man City doesn't quite match what England are doing. But we've also got. Trent Alexander-Arnold, we've, we've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka coming through. This Kieran Trippier is still around. This, this seems like real depth at right-back for England. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? And the thing about all those players is um, <clears throat> they're, all, they're all like different in their own way. Yeah. Um, so you've got, you've got your options. And, uh, it used to be that... just Gary Neville and no one else. <laughs> yes, it did. It was just Neville. I mean, Neville was great, so he no was, problem. But there's only um, one of him. Yeah, but you've um, you, you've essentially got a player for all occasions here, and obviously the first choice is, is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, yes, I've, I've been the the one real bone of contention I've had with the England team and with Southgate over the last say twelve months or anything post World Cup is um, is that Trent Alexander-Arnold and Ben Chilwell have not played enough for England. Yes, we're on um, the same page. This would be my first choice. Uh, first yeah. choice fullbacks, absolutely. They are they are the they are the best fullbacks we have. They are uh, Ben Chilwell is. Everything that I was asking for Ashley Young to be, he has the the power, the ability to surge into space. He's good on the ball. He can cross. He's also got like quite good um, back post defensive skills. Like I've been quite impressed with him, just tracking his runner all the way around the back and just st- just being able to position himself at the right time and the right space to to clear those balls that make it to the very back post and make it to those those messy areas. Like I've been really impressed with that side of his game as well. Um, I think he's basically the complete package. And it, um, which his, is which is you know which is why he gets linked to Chelsea for sixty seventy million pounds. I mean you don't do you don't you don't get those links unless you're very very good and he is. And I just didn't really understand why when he and Trent were not injured and they were often in the squad but not played through the qualification process. I just didn't really get it. Was, why are you not trying to blood this partnership and get these players accustomed to playing with the others around them? Why are we still seeing like Danny Rose? We're still seeing. Um, Kieran Trippier Luke Shaw sometimes 
still seeing Luke Shaw. Like, I just didn't really get it. I really didn't. Tri- uh, sorry, Trippier has been pretty good for Atletico. Um, and he's managed to walk walk his way back onto the bus for me as the second choice right back. I wouldn't put Wambasaka in as it stands. Uh, this is a fairly unpopular opinion. I saw it clash with United fans quite a lot on this one. <laughs> I don't think he's very good in attack. Now, that is obviously, I'm, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to criticise a defender for being good at defending because that's something to lord. But like he's like noticeably bad at attacking, Wambasaka. He's so good one-on-one defending. Yeah. Like, He's, incred- I, he's so hard to get past. But he, if you give him the ball in space and ask him to, to, to answer a question, he doesn't really know what to do. And like in this England team, that's not going to be good enough. I would defend him by saying it's not as if he screws up and gives the ball away. It's more that he just sort of makes the very, very safe choice, right? Yeah, exactly. he, doesn't, he doesn't carry the ball particularly smoothly. Yeah. Um, and he's not a particularly strong crosser. Uh, he managed to register like his first assist of the season the other week. Um, is we're talking like you know 28, 20, 25 games, one assist kind of thing, which you know, you're not going to measure an, uh, a fullback entirely on that. But it was noticeable that like he just wasn't an attacking presence. What do you um, think of the idea of taking him in a tournament squad to be the defensive right back if we're up against a team that has some like magnificent left winger that we have to shut down? Yeah, I'm. I'm like if 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 we had to play Belgium, um, and we had to play Eden Hazard, then there's not a player in England of, of English nationality that would be better equipped to basically stick with him for 90 minutes and make things as hard as possible than Aaron Bissaka. Um, so yeah, that is, that is perhaps a consideration. If you maybe consider Trent and Trippier is a little bit similar in that they like to, they fire in deep crosses, then yeah, maybe, um, maybe, maybe that's where you go with it. Uh, it you, the worry would be is that if you are planning on playing a certain way, you should probably have, two players for every position that play that way. That's fair. Uh, it's, yeah, because a, a Trent injury, about, suddenly you've then got this defensive right back instead. Yeah, so you're trying to play an, expen- an expansive possession system with Wan-Bissaka at right back, which, which, would, which would harm the overall team. I guess what you'd need to do is you'd need to find, you basically find someone to drop, don't you, later on in the squad. Like when you pick your 23, yeah. um, you basically need to find room for Wan-Bissaka as that insurance policy, and you have to basically say goodbye to, I don't know, like one of the midfielders somewhere. Got it. Um, All right, all right so that, go, going through this team, I, 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 this wasn't the original plan, but I feel like we're picking an 11 here. And it's Pickford <laughs> in goal, it's Maguire and Gomez centre-backs, and we're in full agreement that it's uh, Trent at right-back and uh, Ben Chilwell at left-back. Yeah. I think where the England gets tough is in central midfield, because obviously central midfield is really important. Um, but it's also, it just seems like there's a lot of names and they're very um, interchangeable. Yeah, I struggle with this one. Um, just just uh, in preparation for this is basically just wrote all the names down that I could think of. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's Rice, Henderson, Winks, Barkley, Grealish, Oxlade, Chamberlain, Loftus-Cheek, Madison, Mount. So it's just too many people. Like, yep. what do you do with that? Um, I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is here. I think this is, this is where Southgate will be quite grateful to another year to figure this out. Yeah. I don't think he knows the answer either. Um, let's think of it as a shape then let's say it is uh, the like a sort of a six and two eights type situation like a defensive mid and two up and down mids that fair to describe the England England midfield Um, yeah we've seen we've seen them play that more than we've seen them play with a number 10 in a 4-2-3-1 yeah Um, you'd want you'd want the flexibility to do both but I would if I had to put money on it, I would say that we would play, yeah, with an eight and two sixes in a in a in a, in a four three three. So the six, it was Jordan Henderson back at the World Cup when we were playing the five three two. I've noticed he hasn't done that so much. Um, it was Eric Dyer sometimes at the World Cup. I noticed that hasn't been happening, but I think Dyer oh, was injured no. for a, for a stretch. Oh, yeah, I feel the same. Um, Declan Rice, am I missing something with Declan Rice, or is he a purely defensive defensive midfielder who doesn't know how to find space or make incisive passes? Yeah, I think um, I think Rice is really good, but I think he is at, at, for now. You have to consider him quite a limited player, and you have you have to understand that with Rice, it's like he's really good at winning the ball back. He's really good at recovering things. He's quite physical, and if you let him duel on the ball with people, he will probably win it. Yeah, but I wouldn't I wouldn't ask him to play any particularly incisive passes. And he doesn't have a second gear where he can open his hips up and start striding forward, and he can't carry the ball into attack into an attacking phase. He, he just doesn't have that in his locker right now. He doesn't have he doesn't have that second gear where he can just open up and go. He is very much a dispossess 
and pass and go. So that's fine. I mean, that's that's particularly useful against a very good number 10, if, yeah. you, if you ask me. To, but it, it's, to get it's, him on the bus. It, I mean, yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, he can even play. It's just you have to you have to manipulate your midfield around that. Like if you play Winks and Rice together, it's so negative. It's like it just doesn't give you anything. There's no, there's no there's no attacking output. There's no threat of a goal from from those players, which means that you're basically asking four players to do all the attacking, which as a, as balances go, particularly against weaker teams it, like, like, like the teams we played in qualifying, like the Czech Republic, like Bulgaria and like Montenegro, like no disrespect to them. But like you don't need Winks and Rice and Henderson <laughs> for that game. And we saw we saw elements of that or, or, or combinations of that ilk. And it's just not it's just not necessary. So you need a little bit more class dribbling ability, ball carrying ability and an eye for a pass in there. So I, quite, I, feel like I think I rate Winks a little higher than you do in terms of um, just holding on to the ball and finding a pass. I think he's at least better than Rice at doing that and even just finding space to be available. I don't think Winks is as good as Rice in, in a defensive output, True, uh, defensive yeah. capacity. But Winks, I think, of all the midfielders that England have, is probably most likely to make the right choice every time. Um, I think he's really smart with his positioning uh, when receiving the ball and with his body. And I think he can link play in the deeper areas really, really well. And he always makes the right choice. Almost always makes the right choice. So there's, there's, an, there's absolute value for that. What you don't want is Rice, Winks and Henderson, because that's, like, that's just too safe. Yeah. So what you probably want is you need to dump one of those three players and you need to bring in either Grealish to dribble, Oxlade-Chamberlain to shoot from distance every three and a half minutes, or <laughs> Madison to do a similar thing, but also pass, um, Mason Mount to make the second man runs and link up with the striker, or Loftus-Cheek to do basically whatever he wants, because yes. no, one, no, one, no one can tell Loftus-Cheek what to do. He does what he wants to do, I, and he's very, like very good. I'm a big Loftus-Cheek fan. Um, I am too. I am too. But it's, it's, it's one of those five players, plus two of the other three, in my opinion. And if you had to choose, what would you do? Yeah, I don't know. It's tough, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's so hard, man. I guess, um, I guess, I would drop at at this moment in time. I guess I would drop Rice out, and I would play Henderson deepest with Winks, and then Greenish Ox, Lots of Street Madison or Mount, and and it, that, will, <laughs> that and that will that will depend on the on the opponent. Yes, like if, if you're if you're about to to play a team that's very good and will put you under a lot of pressure, the idea of Grealish dribbling out, dribbling the ball out of, out of danger under pressure and buying you six, seven, seven seconds, get yourself a free kick or, or or evade that pressure, that is very very appealing. If you're playing against a minnow who are going to block it up, two banks of four, try and hold on, play Ox and let him shoot all the time. Like there are different; these players can be used for different things. For and me, it's, for me, it's Henderson and Ox and one other the whole time. I think that's I think that's the midfield three. I'm a big fan of Oxley Chamberlain. I think he's got a good all round all round game. Uh, yeah, I think I, uh, fair enough. I uh, I just don't um, often over the last year or so. Uh, I guess I'm, I might be sleeping on Ox a little bit just because just haven't seen that much of him. Like uh, he's playing more football now for sure. Yeah. Like over the last few months, we've seen more and more of him. But yeah. he's been he's so often <laughs> not he's been right on the now. Yeah, he's been on the periphery, hasn't he, for quite a while since his really horrible injury. Um, so I guess it doesn't shoot into my mind as much. But I mean, look at the way Klopp manipulates his midfield three, um, and the way he uses Ox against teams that sit deep. Yeah. And the way and the way that when if that doesn't work for seventy minutes, he brings Cater on and says, "Can you dribble through them? Can you create something? Can you get us a set piece?" The way he uses his 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 six midfielders is masterful obviously he's a brilliant coach but england can do a very similar thing because they have such a variety of different options that they can actually pick and choose it based on the matchup and based on what's presented to them and that's that puts you in such a strong position even though it doesn't feel like it because you can't figure out who to play <laughs> <laughs> well one thing that occurs to me is that that midfield shape that the three that i've described the six and two eight it doesn't 100 percent suit the more playmakery types, like uh, say Madison or or Deli Ali, who's not not really playmakery, but is like you know likes to get forward more than that. I think there are certain players who maybe don't fully fit in the new shape. You know what? I, I knew I'd missed a name out when I was listing off all those names, and it's Deli Ali. Yeah. That's the one I've missed. Um, so I'm going to add him into my document now because <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about this a lot during quarantine. Are, are uh, we yeah, are we I, not thinking about Jesse Lingard now? Is he off the table? Uh, no, he's currently off the table. Yeah, that's he's not, fair. He's, given his he's not even he's not even in the dining room at this point, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ali um, Ali's another one. Yeah, it's like um, 
I mean, Barkley plays really well for England. Like yes. pretty much every time he he plays, he plays well, and everyone hates him. Like, why is Barkley playing? This is a nightmare. This is outrageous. Madison should be playing. We should be blooding greenish. All this stuff. Yeah, I, Barclay, I just rewatched Barclay the Bulgaria. Well. I watched the Bulgaria game last night, sort of, to, you know, to prepare, refresh my memory for this conversation. That England won six 0 I think Barkley scored two goals in that game. Yeah, he's, he's, he's actually, he's, it's basically, if you go back four years, it was the, it was the same argument with Andros Townsend. Yes. So Town, Townsend wasn't playing for Tottenham, but every time he got called up for England, he would come on and he would play well. So the manager in question trusted Andros Townsend, and fair enough. So even if he wasn't playing for Tottenham, he'd Roy still Hudson, get called right? up. It's Roy Hodgson. Yeah, yeah, it was Hodgson. Yeah. It was like, well, it's like, look, he plays well for him every time he gets called up, and why would he not pick him? Oh, here's, so my, one- here's my here's my midfield three that I'm going to pitch at you, Sam. It's uh, Henderson at the six, and then Oxlade Chamberlain to the right of him, and Ross Barkley to the left of him. That's that's who I'm sending out. Okay, okay. I mean, even with all the evidence for Barkley playing well, I'm still just not quite comfortable with it. <laughs> I really, I really am just not. I would go, I would go for Henderson and Winks, and then it, it's what it's it's one of the five, and I guess I would take Ox. Uh, if I ha- if I have to pick blank blank policy, I take Ox for the experience uh, and for the variety in his game. But that that slot is is up for grabs and dependent on the opponent every single time. And I think that's that's a really good thing. All right. And now the most exciting part of this current England team it's the front three. Um, mm. Here's here's the way I see them playing now is I like that idea in theory of Sterling in the old like front two being close to Harry Kane, but Sterling is definitely much more effective coming in from the wing and going at goal from there. And I have loved in this New England team the way Harry Kane comes deep, manages to turn and play in the wingers in behind, right? And it's Sterling and Rashford or Sterling and Sancho or Rashford and Sancho. I've loved the connection between those that front three, Kane and the two attacking wingers. It seems like it, it puts us in the upper echelon of uh, international teams. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely one of the best attacks. These these are, these are this is... Sterling, Sancho and Kane is two world-class players and one who is pretty close to that bracket. That's that's what that is. And, you know, you can you take your you can take your preconceptions of England out of it. You can take your own self-doubt because we never win anything out of it. Like, just look at it objectively on paper. That is a class front three It is the reason why, as I said, I look forward to watching England now (laughs) for the. But for the first time in a long time, I will watch a qualifier quite happily. And it's because I love Sterling and I love Sancho and I love Kane. So Kane, as the focal point, as the complete striker, he does absolutely everything. Um, it's it's quite easy to fit players in around him, to be honest with you, because he does so much. Yeah. But for Sterling, he has to be on the, he has to be on the left flank. Um, Southgate, at least, I know he moved him inside for the World Cup. But I think the reason he did that is because he had correctly identified that one of Sterling's best attributes is, is his ability to find and exploit space. And you can do that in a number of different ways, but it's very clear that he does it at its best from the left flank and probably building play from the other side. So you'd probably be asking Trent to cross. You'd be asking Sancho to cut inside onto, on, onto either foot and try and create some chaos, asking for crosses into Kane, all from the right-hand side. And you would have Sterling... Just, just dipping into the box as that extra body in the box off the left. Just picking a spot that no defenders realise he's there and bang, it's in. A the goals I, Sterling. Yeah. A pattern I keep seeing is Kane comes away from the centre-backs, but one of the centre-backs will come with him, opens up a little bit of space. Sterling or Sancho or Rashford slips in behind into that space and Kane finds a way to turn and play them through. He's, I think he's very good at playing sort of unorthodox, weirdly angled balls that no one sees coming. Yeah, exactly. And and on the turn, as you say, like yeah. having received the ball and, and pulled a marker with him a couple of seconds before. It's it's something that the best the best forwards do. Uh, Lewandowski can do it. Kane can do it. Uh, when Messi was a false nine back in the day, this is this is what Messi did for David Villa like constantly. And it is mm-hmm. unbelievably difficult to stop if you play, if you if you do it, carry it out with, with the precision that these guys do. And because they're such at such a high level and it works brilliantly. Um, England's. I keep saying this, but obviously the defence was a, was a huge concern for me. If the tournament had been in three months, we would have had to outscore everybody <laughs> because we, because I don't think we'd have kept many clean sheets against the best sides. And look, hopefully over the next 12, 16 months, the defence sorts itself out and the attack stays at the same level and they all stay fit because look, Kane, Rashford probably weren't going to be in tip-top shape for this one. Rashford is kind of the odd man out in this one, I think. Yeah, um, I... See, the thing is, though, I do not feel too concerned if, say, Sancho's 
not theatre out of form and it's Rashford instead, or if Sterling's out of form and it's Rashford instead. I really feel like it's you've got three really good players for two positions and it, it's doable. And you, we may even have some more players coming through. I can't think of another winger in that class. But um, I mean, yeah, actually, if, if two of those three were injured, can you think of anyone that you would play on the wing for England? Uh, I think hudson Adoy is in the conversation. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Um, it's not, it's not as, as compelling a case right now as obviously those three players, they are they are brilliant. Hudson Adoy is a step away from that, but that's fine because he's nineteen, so yeah. <laughs> it's 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 fine. Um, if he's your fourth, if you, if he's your fourth best best winger, you're in a really good spot. Um, as you say, having three into two like that is a luxury that you absolutely want for an England team. Uh, Rashford can also play up front, so he, I guess he's like the kind of swing attacker that you take in the squad. Um, although I don't think I'd have him as my second choice central striker because I think if you wanted to build a system, you'd want your second choice striker to be similar to Kane, yes, right? Yes, I agree. And that's the big question, or would have been the big question, if the friendlies against Italy and Denmark had gone ahead this month and then we're looking at the Euros maybe with either a half-fit or completely unfit Harry Kane, who is best equipped to perform that Harry Kane role? So I think it's Tammy Abraham. Okay. I think. I think. Um it's ob- I don't think anyone can do it to Kane's level for obvious reasons. But in terms of a profile of striker, uh, Tammy is a very, very similar in, in terms of the way he can he can create for forwards. He can link with with wingers. He can bring the ball in and protect it. He's quicker than Kane. Like the guy's a physical marvel. Like he's he's I've met Tammy and I've played uh, FIFA against him. <laughs> and after we played FIFA, we had a height off. Uh, because I wanted to see if I was taller than him. So obviously lots of people listening won't know, but I'm six foot four and it's very often remarked at how tall I am. Yeah. And I wanted to see if I was taller than Tammy Abraham and I'd read on his Wikipedia that he was six foot four and I asked him about his height and he was like, no, I'm six foot six. I'm six foot six. I'm definitely six foot six. He was adamant. So we did a height off. We stood back to back and there is a photo on my Instagram of us doing it. And he is, he's a massive dude and he is so fast considering his size. Like as a, as a physical as a physical prospect, he is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, like, you think of like bit, normally big forwards. I'm thinking of like Peter Crouch even. Never, ever, ever did anyone say Peter Crouch was fast. That's the thing. So Tammy is at best an inch or two off Crouch in height. Like he's really close. He's deceptively close to Crouch's height. And yet he is quicker than most of the forwards that we have, which is, it, it's insane to me, but it, it is. So with all the, with the, with the build-up skills that he has, um, the pro- ability to protect the ball, the physical profile, um, the potential connection with someone like uh, like Hudson Odoi um, from from the Chelsea level, um, and the fact that he he can score, he's good in the air. Like he scores a lot of headers. Yeah. Um, and if we're if we're trying to build a team that has Trent Alexander Arnold in it, who crosses better than anybody in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. Then I think I think your second choice striker has to also be good at finishing uh, headed chances. So I think it's Abraham um, rather than Rashford. With Rashford, I always wonder like. You know how we just didn't get the best out of Jamie Vardy? Like, it just never worked. Yeah. And he's retired from England duty now, so we don't have to answer those difficult questions. But Vardy would always be called up, and he would never really play that well. And it was really obvious that we just weren't geared to play for him. Yeah. We weren't willing to chuck the ball into the channel and give him a 50-50 to fight, like Leicester were. And we wanted to play in a more precise fashion, which is fair enough. It just means that some players... they. Some players suit the system and some players don't. And I do wonder, without trying to pay too much disrespect to Rashford's game and overall game, he's, I just think he feels like a winger in Southgate's system and the way we want to play. I think it makes sense to me. I also think that is the evolution of Rashford's career because he's been doing that for Manchester United um, the latter half of the season. He's been playing as the, the wide forward and I think he's looked way more effective than when he played centre forward. I think that might just be his position there. That's that's a position that exists now, right? It's like a not a winger whose job is to get to the byline and cross it for Chris Sutton to head home. The the <laughs> job of a wide a wide player now is to be a more like Sadio Mane style wide attacker whose job is to get in the box. Yeah, I mean Liverpool essentially play with three strikers if you want to look at it a certain way. Like, yeah. it's like Mane and Salah are not traditional wingers. They both come in off the flank onto their strong foot. They both enter the box way more than they hit the byline. And the game plan works so that Trent can cross from a deeper position and he's got at least three people to aim at in the box. Otherwise, there's no point in crossing, right? You have to have more people in the box. And Rashford is essentially Manchester United Sadio Mane in that regard. It's, yeah. like, it's, okay, it's okay to have that player start from a wide position and then drift or ghost inward and enter the box. And often, 
if they pick their moment right and their anticipation skills are spot on and the connection with the teammates is good, that can be more of a danger than anything. I mean, look at Arsenal and Aubameyang. Aubameyang is not a winger, but yeah, he plays off the left for Arsenal. But he doesn't play as a winger, does he? He plays as a narrow striker. And scores who, from there. And scores from there quite a lot. And he's very often actually being fed the ball, running inwards from the left towards goal with the ball on his right foot. It's like there's no better position for him to be in on the pitch. So it's whatever gets these players into the positions they need to be in to score. And that doesn't mean you have to play a striker up front. It means that you can play a player like Rashford off the left and have him ghost into those positions. And he actually gets a better sight on goal than he would have otherwise. So it's just a quirk of the system. It just, I think that's probably where Rashford fits in for England. It's, it's, it's the same as, it's the same as Mane and Salah at Liverpool. And it's the same as, well, most, yeah, let's be honest, like most, most modern wingers. So if you were if we were doing our England eleven though to to pick our front three, you would go Sterling left, Sancho right, Kane central, or does Rashford fit in there anywhere? No, I'd, I'd take uh, I'd take Sterling and Sancho as the combo for sure. There he's been go. quite uh, Southgate. feels like he's been a, quite careful with Sancho. Yes, I like um, it. I think I feel like there have been multiple occasions in which I feel Sancho should have played and he didn't, and I remember being quite annoyed about it just because. I wanted to see him play. It's just personal, right? It's just yeah. a selfishness. I, just, I really wanted to play, see Sancho play tonight and I'm only going to get to see him play 20 minutes, not 90. Um, but yeah, it, maybe, he's, maybe he's smart in tempering him into the system. But I've been a bit impatient. Like, I think Sancho is amazing and like, he, can, he will be one of the best players in the world. And obviously, you just want to see that player playing, right? Do you, have you seen the, um, the Dortmund documentary just released, at least over here in the US, just released on Amazon Prime um, about last season, the 2018-19 season? No, I haven't actually. I, yeah. just, I don't even know if that's open. It uh, just came out over here, so I'm going to guess there's a lot of Sancho in there because obviously that was his big breakout season, right? Yes, he was sensational last season, and he's been sensational again. If there's uh, if there's some Sancho to be to be had, I'll be yeah, I'll be I'll be taking a look. I also <laughs> I also met him. You met, <laughs> I met him last. I met him last summer very briefly. Uh, You're I asked definitely him for a, taller I, than him. Uh, yes, I am. That was not the that was not the question, <laughs> uh, and he seemed like a, he seemed like a really nice guy. Um, That's good because it's not always that um, English teenagers suddenly propelled to fame uh, maintain their nice guyness. No, they don't always. Naming no names, obviously, but I think Sancho has managed to uh, managed to keep it straight, which That's is good. great. That's great. Um, well, actually, I think of him because of that thing where he um, he moved to Germany. There's a little bit of arrogance about that of like, I deserve first team football now, but it turns out he was right. But there's also the, um, it's a thing I think a lot of English footballers don't have is that willingness to go and live in a foreign culture. Um, so I always um, had had, a, had a, a sense that maybe he was a, a good open-minded guy, just the fact he was willing to move to Germany. Yeah, potentially a little bit more mature, I guess. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're definitely seeing like way more of English players moving moving out of the Premier League and moving abroad nowadays. Um but he was the he's the headline case, and yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of players out there who have taken inspiration from him. Uh, in particular, moving to to the Bundesliga, but we've also seen uh, been seen people move to Benfica and other Portuguese. Marcus Edwards is at Vitoria Guimarães. Oh yeah, uh, I see the occasional the, highlight of Marcus Edwards dribbling. At yeah, yeah. One one of the Willocks is at Benf in the Benfica system. Yeah, um, and then you've got like. Uh, You've got you've got a couple. Where else did they go? Yeah, uh, yeah. Germany, Germany, and Portugal were the main ones, but there's there's a couple spread out everywhere. To be is honest, it's, it's, Adam Ola Lukman is he still at Leipzig? Um, yeah, he's a uh, he's a uh, he's at Leipzig. There's quite a few in Germany, to be honest with you. Um, it's uh, Reese uh, Oxford went to Augsburg on loan, I think. Yes. So yeah, we've, seen, we've seen we've seen plenty of them, uh, and the the more it happens, the better because. There's a blockage in the pipeline in English football and uh, the stakes are too high and there's too much money on the line uh, for Premier League clubs and the, 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 the job pressures for the managers are too intense for them to really feel comfortable rolling the dice on an 18-year-old when they can go and spend 8, 9, 10, 15 million on a player who probably is just as good, if not worse, yeah. <laughs> but, doesn't, does, but doesn't have the kind of roll the dice feel to him. Yeah. Um, like I just, I always... Um, I always wondered, like with with Everton, for example, why they kept buying strikers when Dominic Calvert Lewin was just sat there. Yes. And you know, over the course of the season, Dominic Calvert Lewin has, has has really has really progressed and flowered into quite a good footballer, probably a better footballer than a lot of people would, had had suggested could be possible. But why did they spend twenty eight million on Cenk Tosin? Yeah, he's when, fought when, off a load of different strikers, when, isn't he? At yeah, when when Calvert Lewin was just there the whole time. Like this is this is the problem English football has, or English teenagers have. So for them to 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 go out to come back in again later, like Sancho probably will this summer, great, perfect. 
So Sam, I want to be respectful of your time. I think we've been on the phone for um, over an hour now. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with England or do you have BR football meetings to get to? Uh, no BR football meetings to go to. They all, uh, they all took place earlier in the day, so I'm good. I think I will just go and watch Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah, please enjoy. Please enjoy. <laughs> all right, Sam, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I genuinely enjoyed it, mostly because I spend so much time talking about the US men's national team um, that I don't get to have long conversations about England all too often. So thank you for uh, for indulging me today. Oh, no problem. I guess I don't <laughs> I don't get to have long conversations about the English national team either because the appetite for it, I guess, in this country is is, is still not that strong. So uh, it's good to talk these three, these things through. And also just to like remind yourself um, about all of the things we've talked about, because, as we say, it has been some months since England played a game of football. And yeah. uh, well, I guess I can only look forward to it coming back hopefully sooner rather than later. All right. On that note, everyone, uh, keep their distance. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Um, you have any other advice for people, Sam? Uh, stay home. Don't stay trust. Home. Don't don't trust anybody. Uh, not even your family. Not your friends. Uh, <laughs> don't house, touch your face. Don't touch your face. Actually, the one piece of advice I would give people is that I don't know how. I don't know if if other people have this experience, but we've seen a big surge in the use of the house party app. I'm sure you've seen. I have um, not. I think well, I think this may have been more of a thing in America before it was a thing in England. But over the last couple of weeks, everyone in England has realized there's an app called House Party where you can just have a group video call, which is great, except that literally always existed. Um, <laughs> there's WhatsApp video calls. There's Hangouts and Skype calls. And everybody's using House Party. And it's rubbish. Like, there's connection issues all over the gap. It doesn't work properly. Everyone's cutting out. No one can hear each other. Don't use that app. Use something else. It's branding, right? It's because I think most of the things like GoToMeeting or Zoom are geared at uh, businesses and you know workplace environments. And I think just naming it House Party makes everyone think, oh, it won't be boring like a meeting. It'll be a party. Yeah, kind of. I've used Zoom. Zoom was way better. I thought Zoom was way, way better. Um, I must admit, House Party, everyone's, everyone's using it because it sounds like it should work, but it's not. So uh, <laughs> not, not to just you know, use the last portion of this podcast to savagely derail an entire <laughs> brand, but like, it's rubbish. Just use, what, just use the WhatsApp video call. It works so much better and it will cause so many. So, so it would just, just eradicate so many issues. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Sam, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today um, and enjoy the rest of your day. All right, mate. Nice one. Thank you. <laughs> 